This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. This is called The Twig with Roses, and it's part four of this series. Uh, The title will make sense as we progress. I've I've battled over this one because I feel the significance of where we're at as a nation, and yet the significance of this message, I, I don't know if it rises up to meet it. I felt that. And so it's like, well, God, only you can take something and make it shine, make it move us as the church. But what we have is the beginnings of something. Our, our nation has some rough patches in it. Okay, I love our nation, but if you look back on any history, any genealogical record, any heritage, you could find blind spots, you could find a lot of mistakes. There is no heritage that is without flaw. And if we were to just start with the perfect man, Jesus Christ, and look at his genealogy, you're going to find all sorts of fascinating things in there that you wouldn't expect. In fact, if you were to take the heroes out of this lineage of the Jews, one of the key heroes, let's just pick one out, just randomly, King David. And if you were to examine his life, you're going to see some amazing qualities, some things that all of us in here are going to say, let's be like David. And then someone could come up and find a statue of David and topple it over and spray paint it. And they would be justified at a certain level. The guy was a murderer and an adulterer. Okay, you you follow me? In other words, if you were to examine things down to their nitty gritty, you're going to find that every single one of us is in need of something. And that's a savior. And so it shouldn't shock us that when we study anything, any historical account, even the word of God itself, is going to clarify this and how it teaches us. It's going to show us flawed individuals so that we see the standout, the holiness of God when he comes in the flesh. You see, he's not like us. In fact, you could say it three times because that's what holiness means. He's not like us. He's not like us. He's really not like us. You see, we have a common problem. And when God is lifted out of any culture, you see that common problem (laughs) exacerbate. The solution to any culture is not the removal of God. It's the invasion of God. When you remove God, you lose light. And when you're stumbling around in a dark room, you can get hurt. The sure supply. One of the things that I have been grappling with, trying to gain language for, I know what I'm after, and that is I want to lead my own life, my family, my marriage, and our ministry and the church in the direction God is moving. But I'm trying to discern what God's doing. And so I have something that's known as the Word of God, and it gives me clarity to that. And so there's nothing quite like when you're in a dark room opening the Bible, which just shines light all over the place. I mean, because it's... And I'm going to give a word for that, that that strategy, military strategy, if we're talking military, which I'm doing during the weeks, during the Daily Thunder uh, times, I'm talking about World War II, so the word stratuyo in the Greek is a great word for understanding the Christian life. We need a divine strategy. We need to know what the God of the universe, the king of the armies, is saying for the church of Jesus Christ to do. 
Now what's funny is most of that doesn't change from generation to generation. We're called to do the same thing in every generation. However, in the specific movements, God is going to give us not just general truth, but specific truth. And that's why the word, word, has two different Greek uh, words to it. It's like logos is what we understand typically as the word. So Jesus is going to become the logos made flesh. He's the word made flesh. But there's another word called rhema. And this would be like the specific movements. It's the individual life and how that individual life is supposed to use the common revelation of scripture. So yes, I see what you say, God, in the Proverbs, but now I need to know how to apply it during COVID-19. That's rhema. That is going to be the specific application of a general truth that is the same for all of us into a specific life and situation. We could also call it wisdom. We need the wisdom of God, the very specific understanding of God applied to our life to take this hand right now in 2020 and have it do what God wants it to do. I know he wants it to bring glory to God. I know that. I know that I'm here for the kingdom and the glory. I know that I'm supposed to share the gospel with those around me, but how do I do it in this hour, in this situation? We need specifics now. We need wisdom we have a sure supply. And that's why I stuck that up on the screen. This is a promise. God is not saying, well, you know, every now and then I'll throw out a pile of it. You know, sort of like one of those planes that flies over a, a, a nation that's under siege and they drop some supplies and it's just like, oh, when's the next plane coming? God has supplied everything that we need, which means we already have it in sure supply, but we need to go after it. And so that's what I'm wanting to bring out is there is a pursuit right now that is needed in the souls of the church. James 1, 5 through 8, if any of you lacks wisdom, oh, well, that's me. He's talking about me. All these, what, a couple thousand years ago, he somehow knows that I'm going to lack wisdom. So he's like, Eric, if you're lacking wisdom, I'm like, oh, he's talking to me. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So Eric, you need to know how to take your circumstances, your life, your knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, your family situation, your ministry situation, your church situation, and respond right now as you know you need to respond according to the kingdom of heaven. I'll give that to you. Well, doesn't that sound nice? Boy, to, to realize that the God of the universe who sees all from beginning to end, he can direct my life? in specificity, uh, that gives me some peace. There's like a calm that washes over my soul to know that it's not up to me to brainstorm my way through this. But the God of battles wants to lead his soldiers through it, that he wants to show me. There's something called the fog of war. If you study war, you'll recognize, and it's, it's lessened over time. There still is something known as the fog of war in modern warfare, but it's, it's, it's different because back in the day, you would get your commission and you would go out into battle. And the terrain that you saw on the map never quite looks the way you have envisioned in your mind. And then you get there and you can't see where the enemy is. They're over a hill and you can't see the other uh, members of your own team, your own uh, military tribe. You don't know where everyone else is. And then something changes that you weren't expecting. The enemy comes over the hill this way instead of this way. And it throws you off and it causes a certain level of confusion to enter in and soldiers can panic in those moments. The fog of war. The fog of war has always been throughout history a real thing. Well, guess what? 
It's a very real thing in the church, too. We're in a war. And there is a fog that can descend on us where we know that we've been given a clear assignment, but we don't know who the enemy is. We don't know where he is. We don't know. I don't want to kill my own soldier in this. I, I, don't, I feel disoriented. Yeah. That's why we need wisdom. We need clear sight in the midst of fog. So, but let him ask in faith for this wisdom with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what you're going to see is with this request for wisdom is a requirement. You need to have faith. You cannot be a doubter. You cannot be a waffler. You need to know that if God says it's there, it's there. So go after it and don't relent in your pursuit. So I'm going to build on this and I'm going to create a parallel out of this today. And I, I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but it's a story out of American history uh, that is very politically incorrect right now. Supercharged. And it wasn't the reason I picked it. That, that's, that's also sort of humorous. Introducing the Proverbs, the wisdom for ruling a nation. So, and I've gone through this many times, I don't know if it's more at Ellerslie or if I've done it in the church, but the Proverbs, for many of us, are just sort of one of those things that's like old-fashioned ideas, when in actuality, it's God's Word. And I, we know that, but we fail to sometimes appropriate it as if it is, in fact, the wisdom of God. So when we're asking for wisdom, one of the things we'll oftentimes say during a, a, a staff meet is, let's get our Proverbs out on the table. The Proverbs of God are living and active truths. And they actually are truth that can be applied right now. And so, I mean, it's, it's profound stuff. Now, think about what it is. It's a king speaking to his son. What is he speaking to his son about? How to rule a nation. You see, the Proverbs are given for national rulership. Isn't that an amazing thought? To think that it's a king to know how to best rule a kingdom. That's just a weird thought because we think of it like for our little life, like God speaking to my little life here, which he is. But that's showing you something. The truths that rule kingdoms rule individual lives. And so and everything in between. What's in between? Well, businesses, churches, marriages, families. You see, the Proverbs or the wisdom of God is how we are going to appropriate the common revelation, the logos of Scripture, and how to work it out into the finite, granular dimensions of our life. What does it look like in this? What does it look like here? What does it look like here? And so the Proverbs should just get you excited to read through the Proverbs. And it really is amazing because every time you go through the Proverbs and you're in, you're in a crisis, it, God will lift them out and show you. It's like, whoa, here it is. This is what I need to do. So the wisdom for ruling a nation but what is good for a nation is good for ruling your body, leading your marriage, training your children, and governing the church. God does not contradict himself. It's like, well, this is good for ruling a nation, but not for ruling your life. In other words, the truth of God is transferable in every generation, in every culture, every gender. <laughs> There's only two, by the way. Uh, and every situation we could possibly muster up, it is transferable. That's one of the amazing things about God's truth and his wisdom. The same is true here for what happens to nations is strangely what happens to individuals. So when I'm going through the spiritual biography of a nation, I'm going to sort of be laying this idea and this foundation of how God providentially put together our nation. And by the way, when I say that, that could sound like it's going to be without flaw. Oh no. 
I could say how God providentially put together your life. Does that sound like it was a story without mistakes along the way? No. However, it does not debunk the entire thing because there were flaws in it. The fact that God has brought us to this point and it was an imperfect journey, not because of God, but because man was involved in it, does not mean we throw out our heritage and all that you know, God did to bring us to this point. And the same is true with our nation. I mean, I, if we all examined our parents, I bet we could create this huge list of mistakes that our parents made. Oh, can you believe they did that? And yet, guess what? Our parents still loved us and did the best they knew. And they didn't, I mean, no, there isn't a parent out there. Well, I shouldn't say that. There, there could be parents out there that do this. But in the most normal sense, their parents don't wake up in the morning saying, I'd like to destroy my kids. Okay, now, like I said, there, <laughs> there could be parents out there that do that. But in the general sense, the way God created and crafted parents to be, that isn't normal. And so as a result, though our heritage may have flaws and foibles, it's amazing to think how God has brought about a story and a witness to the nations in and through this country that we happen to call our home. And so as a result, even though I'm not just going to be pro-American and you know, clothe myself in a, a red, white, and blue flag as I'm up here, I am pro-American in the sense that I love our country. I love what God has done in our history, and I, I'm, I'm very content to brag about it. That does not mean I'm going to cover up its mistakes any more than I do in my own life. If you listen to me share my testimony, I'm going to share with you exactly what happened and all the dumb things I did and how God leveraged them to bring about his glory. That's the story. So the wars of nations parallel our own battles. The weaknesses of nations, eh, well, they parallel our own weaknesses. And the strength of nations parallel our own strengths. You see, this is a very interesting thing. When you study a nation, you're, in a sense, you're studying your own soul. Like when I'm teaching on World War II, if any of you have followed that series, it is profound. You're like, whoa, that's like what's happening today. Uh-huh. Because, you see, all of this is the same battle, light against darkness. There's only two. You got the devil over here and all his cronies, and you have Jesus Christ and his angelic host. War. And so what we have is going to parallel in every situation in every generation. So the more we become students and understand how these things work, the sharper we are for this battle. So I'm going to read through Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. And at the end of the message, I'm actually going to go through, I think, verse 15. So that you guys can just sort of see this mindset. This is, remember, the Proverbs are given from a king to his son so that he can rule well a nation. Or we could say they are given to us, the church, so we can rule well the church, so that we can handle ourselves well in hostile territory. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so, you shall, so, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Fact. What I just declared is the eternal word of God. God says, you need something. Do you recognize its value? If you don't understand the value of wisdom and understanding, you won't pursue it. 
But if you understand it, you'll recognize that it is worth more than the wealth of nations. But if you don't see it, you're a fool. And you will live as a fool. The wise man esteems wisdom and will seek for it as silver or as for hidden treasure. And so when we begin to recognize what do we need right now, and then God says, my children, I've given it to you. Everything you need for this battle, I have supplied it. Here's how to get it. Wouldn't you be the greatest fool not to go after it? So I'm going to lift out just one line in there because this is the key with where we're going today. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then. I mean, it's right there. Isn't this what it says in James 1? In other words, if you really go after it and you're not a doubter, because if you're a doubter, you're not going to make it across the Pacific Ocean. I'm sorry, the Atlantic Ocean. Sorry, I need to make sure I'm on the right side. I've been teaching on the Pacific Theater in World War II. You're not going to make it across the Atlantic Ocean from Spain to the New World. Uh-oh, what story is Eric going to be bringing up today? Yeah, can you believe I'm actually touching on that story of all things uh, in the midst of all this drama? The parallel. Christopher Columbus. Now, what do you think of that? Hey! Christopher Columbus, this guy saw something that others didn't see. Okay, now, this is a very flawed man, okay? I am not, I don't look at him uh, in any bright, shining light like I want to be like Christopher Columbus. There are certain people in history that's like, I want to be like that guy. I didn't name my child Columbus. Uh, In other words, I'm not trying to venerate his behavior in all circumstances, and yet his life is going to mean something. It is symbolic of something, and I don't want to lose that because of political incorrectness. And so uh, this guy saw something that others didn't see. He appraised its value. Now remember what we're talking about? We're talking about pursuing wisdom, the strategy of God, the mind of God, the understanding of God. He is going to see something that no one else in his generation is seeing. And he is going to be the kook in his generation. But he is not going to relent. This guy is a fascinating study. He is not going to relent. He doesn't mind looking like the fool because he is convinced of what he's after. Now, he doesn't recognize, if any of you know the story, he is going to discover, he thinks he's discovering Asia. That he's arriving, that he's, you know, we finally figured out how to go around the entire globe. He doesn't recognize he's discovering a new world. And so th- that's still in the future to figure all these things out. However, he believes something so strongly. He appraises its value. Then he sought it as silver and searched for it like hidden treasure. If I were to measure each of our souls, like put a little meter on it, like and we were to talk about that dimension of going after the things that God has appraised. And he says, according to my word, this is the most valuable thing in your life to go after. And we're like going after monetary gain and comforts and things like that. Don't you think we could easily be classified as fools? You see, there are seasons in life where everyone around us is pursuing something lower than what God says is the highest. And there are seasons in our own lives. It could be now where we are pursuing things with an aggressiveness that actually shows us to be foolish. Christopher Columbus, 
is going to pursue something so fervently that it's awkward to everyone around him. He is, he is so taken in by the value of what he is after. And so even though I don't want you to grow up to be like Christopher Columbus, there is something about Christopher Columbus that I actually want you to have. If we we're going to look at that meter, and if it was to say, for the wisdom of God, for the understanding of God right now, to know him and to make him known, do you care that the world would know him? Do you care that you would know how you, the role you were to play in that and what you're supposed to do with the time you have on this earth? Do you care? Does that even, is it making any blip on your meter? Because that is proving something to your soul. If you hunger for it, if you desire it and you pursue it, seek it as silver and search for it like hidden treasure, you're guaranteed to find it. So what that should do in us, if we're like, if our meter's not showing much, what should we do? We start there. God, my meter's broken. God, I am missing something. I'm missing something in my soul. Start there. And ask for God to fan that into flame because he delights to do it. You see, it's when you become warm to the things of this earth that you become cooler to the things of heaven. So as a result, sometimes you have to turn your back on the things of this earth so that you can warm again to the things of heaven. So I, I didn't even think about the fact that Christopher Columbus was a news item this week. Okay, remember, I'm not watching the news. I turned it on this week. But okay, I, I did look at uh, the news one day. So I, I just need to clarify that. Uh, and it was really interesting and horrifying. And I could easily get addicted again. But I have chosen to try and keep my distance. Boy, this is, this is tough. So I am looking for an image of Christopher Columbus, right? The one I just showed you on the screen. And while I'm doing it, I, I, Christopher Columbus, I think I said image, Christopher Columbus. And what comes up on the screen is this news, the most recent news. You'll notice that one is one hour uh, since, the other is three hours, five hours, and one hour. Okay, so this is all happening simultaneous with me putting together this message. And the first one is New Jersey City of Camden removes Christopher Columbus statue. And the quote is, the time was right to do it. So here I am making a sermon on Christopher Columbus. I've never talked about Christopher Columbus to the Church of Jesus Christ. The time is right to do it. I mean, what a bizarre thing that they're dismantling statues of Christopher Columbus at the same time I'm feeling led to actually bring this up to the church. I mean, that is one of the most bizarre realities, right? And then Governor Tim Waltz, this is three hours earlier, says he understands why Christopher Columbus statue was toppled. And then uh, five hours earlier, Miami police arrest seven for vandalizing Christopher Columbus statue. And then 11 or one hour earlier, Christopher Columbus statue in Houston vandalized for second straight night. This is present tense stuff. At the same time, you know, I'm just minding my own business trying to prepare a message for the church. This is a key issue. It symbolizes something. And I want you to be fascinated by what it symbolizes. Because like I said, Christopher Columbus has issues. But so does everyone. And he also has done something that God sovereignly and providentially used to change the earth in which we live. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So there are things in each of our lives, in each of our histories, and even the Bible. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The funny thing about the Bible is it shares them all. It doesn't hide the bad and the ugly. It actually allows us to see 
the fact that this is constant throughout history. You read almost any other, if not every other, uh, historic uh, description of a nation, which was usually a very wealthy monarch that wanted to be remembered well, so he is going to hire a writer to come in and write a glowing review of his life. And everything is overstated and hyperbolized of how beautiful, virtuous, and wonderful he was. That's normal history. The Bible isn't normal history. It's accurate. It's going to say exactly as it was, which includes good, bad, and ugly. And so I think we can, we're, we're mature enough to handle the truth of Christopher Columbus the same way. So how do we handle history? We esteem the good, just like in the Bible. There are certain characters I'm not going to esteem. I'm not going to esteem Jezebel, but the Bible doesn't hide Jezebel. I'm not going to esteem her because I'm supposed to esteem that which is godly. And why is it that we know that when we study Scripture, that we're not supposed to follow? And that's the inspired Word of God giving quotations from Jezebel. And yet that's God's Word? Yeah, because He's not afraid to showcase evil behavior. He will show you how, what is opposite of him so that you can better discern the two. So we esteem the good, we reject the bad, and we acknowledge the ugly because otherwise the cross doesn't make any sense. <laughs> In other words, we have a problem, guys, and we need a savior. So let's go through the good, the bad, and the ugly in uh, Christopher Columbus. Columbus is an amazing picture of dogged faith. One of the best pictures probably in history of dogged faith. When you are crossing the Atlantic Ocean and no one has ever found land going that direction, just imagine the faith that you have to have and the confidence you have to have in your maps to be able to do that. There's so much guesswork going, but he's, he has he has a basis. He, he, he feel, and he's an expert, probably one of the top map makers in the world at this time. And so he is an expert in these things. He, he might be a little strange in other areas, but this guy is sharp. He knows what he's doing, even though he's going to be looked at as a kook for various reasons that I'm not going to go into uh, fully. However, could you imagine what it would be like after 31 days when you expected it to be a little sooner and you still have not reached land? Are you going to keep going? Okay, that's, I'm going to get into that because that's what's amazing about the story of Christopher Columbus. The guy is going to keep going. And that is a rare quality on earth. When the Son of Man comes, is he going to find faith on the earth? Is he going to find that? That even after 31 days where you haven't found what you were after, but you know it's there according to your map. So that's the problem. I mean, a map made by Christopher Columbus is very different than a map made by God. However, the concept, though I'm not saying become him, I'm saying there's something in his example which is profound. Columbus is an amazing picture of dogged faith and his determination to reach the new world was so, that, was so strong that the God, wait a minute, that in his determination to reach the new world. Whoa, I, I see what I'm trying to write there. He was doing it so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might be heard. Boy, I, I wrote that really funny. Sandy, how come you didn't edit this beforehand? <laughs> in other words, his motivation is good. If you want to say it that way, he wants to reach this new world to evangelize for Jesus Christ. I mean, hey, do you see anything positive there? I think that's just missions. That's what we are built after. I mean, here at Ellerslie, that's what we're all about. Are we willing to take risks? Are we willing to go where no one's gone before? Absolutely. Why? For Jesus' sake. All right, this is a good motive. The second, uh, <clears throat> the bad. Let's just suffice to say up front that there's a lot of it. It was a time when Christianity was a bit off. 
in its practice and ethnic and ideological cleansing were in vogue. Okay, this is a weird time in history. Okay, you have the Spanish nation who's ultimately going to send him. He, he went to uh, Portugal first, to John II. Then he went to England to Henry VII. And both of them are going to look at him as a crackpot. Okay, this guy's crazy. No way are you going to do this. You know, we're not financing this. To finance something like this could break the bank in a normal nation. That's how expensive this thing was. So in other words, unless you have a guarantee that you're going to find a pile of gold over there, there's no way we're doing this. And so the Spanish at the time, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, are actually destroyed. They're in the wars against the Moors, you know, the Muslims basically of that time in that region. And they're also deporting all Jews. Isn't that a weird thing? It's, it's actually, we could look at it historically, one of the first uh, movements of ethnic cleansing <laughs> in the world is happening in Spain. They're actually deporting all Jews because it was an impurity in their nation. Okay, so you know that at the same time, in the same port, when Columbus is departing towards the New World, there's a ship that is deporting Jews out of the country because, for no other reason other than they are Jews. Okay, so you, you follow me in, in recognizing it's like, I'm not going to defend that. In other words, I'm not trying to say, hey, look at this, this is a great illustration. In other words, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly all at the same time. Third, <clears throat> the ugly. Columbus was all about lost souls being found. Yay! And, but he was also about lost gold being found. Boo. And being deposited into his bank account. <laughs> Greed was a very subtle theme that wove its way through this whole endeavor. Why do you think uh, they're willing to even finance an expedition? It's because of the potential gold. It's because of the potential wealth and riches that are associated with this. So let's not kid ourselves in recognizing that even the church, when we move forward, sometimes motives can be called into question. We can do things for the glory of God, but that does not mean that our motive is actually God's motive. Nathan Johnson's principle of cracked pots. You guys ever heard him talk about cracked pots? That when, uh, you know, that we're all cracked pots and we could all get offended at that. It's like, what do you mean we're a cracked pot? He says, oh, but that's actually what God has chosen. God doesn't mind a cracked pot because he pours all his grace into it and then it goes oozing out on everyone around him. And I, I thought that that was a, a pretty good illustration of how God works. In other words, he takes our weaknesses and even though he's not like into weakness, God's not into sin, he's not into uh, failure. However, he will leverage our weaknesses to actually demonstrate his glory. In other words, out of our weakness will seep his grace, will seep his glory. It's just how he works. So we all know, if, if we've ever studied our history, that God has done something amazing in this country. And I'm not getting to that in this story. I'm just sort of giving a, a, a sort of a spoiler alert for the beginning. That though our current condition belies it and seems to even defy it, the heritage of this country is something very unique something extremely abnormal and something that I would just quickly describe as supernatural. There's no other way of studying American history than to acknowledge that there is a God. It is amazing. And so as Catherine Lee Bates writes in her song, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. This is a nation that is going to be different. Now, there's all sorts of factors in it that I'm not going to say are godly. But there is a godly strain, a remnant 
in there that God is going to bless and prosper because of their humility, their fear of God, and their willingness to bend before the word of God. So in a book written by Cotton Mather, uh, this, is in, this is a quote in that book uh, by John Higginson, who was a minister back in the 1600s, early 1700s. It hath been deservedly esteemed one of the great and wonderful works of God in this last age, that the Lord stirred up the spirits of so many thousands of his servants to transport themselves into a desert land in America in the way of seeking first the kingdom of God for the purpose of a fuller and better reformation of the church than it hath yet appeared in the world. This had never happened in the world. In all of world history, nothing like this had ever taken place. And people from all over the world were drawn. And in this country, there was a bastion of hope where those same Jews that were being deported there were able to find refuge here. And so even though some of the founding ideas were disturbed, God seemed to use that cracked pot and flow through it. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's our memory technique for remembering when Columbus uh, discovered uh, America. I think it was October 12th. Uh, Urian Oakes, president of Harvard University back in the late 1600s, if we lay all things together, this, our commonwealth, seems to exhibit to us a little model of the kingdom of Christ upon earth. Now, the fact that that's being said by a president of Harvard shows you that obviously Harvard has changed a bit over time. And yet what we see is that everyone, to everyone that was looking on, even though this is you know, almost 200 years later, you're going to see a statement that said, okay, I'm not going to defend what Columbus's motives were. They could have been more gold than God. And yet, God is going to take this and he is going to use it for his glory. In 1490 Dos, the Jews were deported from Port Palos. That's uh, my creative use of the language. Because they're in Spain, right? So I figured I could use dos, okay? Uh, so obviously what we see is good, bad, and ugly simultaneously being leveraged to create a nation. Ferdinand and Isabella, and I'm not going to speak for their Christianity. They were Catholic, and, and they were motivated by things that are different than me. I don't think like those two, okay? They, their reasoning is different than mine. And in the meanwhile, they're deporting Jews. They're sending off Christopher Columbus. Well, the fact that God can use anyone he sees fit to use is his business. The fact that I see in and through all of this a providence that is bringing about the formation of a nation through which the earth will see the light of the gospel is a profound statement. In 2020, there are gospel opportunities aplenty. So here we are, you guys like my poetry, by the way. I know some of you are like, boy, I should sit down and write some poetry like Eric does. Uh, but in, our year, in this year today, if we were to look back, to recognize that if school kids hundreds of years from now are trying to remember the date, 2020, of course, that doesn't seem like a very hard date to remember. And yet, what I want us to remember is this is the hour in which we live. We can't correct things from the past but we can correct things right now. It's an amazing thing to think that this is the stage upon which we live. We actually have a voice right now. I don't have a voice back in 1492. I have a voice in 2020. I may not have a voice even next year. I may not be around, but I am around right now. 
And so I have one shot at this thing to be utilized by the Spirit of God in this hour to do something noble that hopefully has good in it and not bad and ugly. That would be my preference, is that we could get all the bad and ugly out of Eric completely, out of this ministry, out of this church, and that we could truly deliver a pure-hearted gospel to this generation, that when they encounter us, they see the love of Jesus as God would define love. They see the holiness of Christ as God would define that. They see the kindness and the mercies of the kingdom of heaven. That is our commission. And I tell you what, there are gospel opportunities aplenty in the year 2020. I, I had to say that again because I really like the, uh, the poetry there. Okay, guys, I have another one for those of you that are really into my poetry. <clears throat> in 2020, okay, you, got, you, had to, you had to acknowledge, I'm pretty creative in how I'm getting these dates out. In 2020, we esteem the fool and hate the hero. Okay, so as much as we have gospel opportunities, as much as they're deporting Jews from Port Palos, there's also the hope of a new beginning. There is something that can be discovered right now. I just desire us to catch the vision. We need something. We need to be able to cross this vast Atlantic with faith. To go after something the way Christopher Columbus went after the, the new world. We have to pursue it with a gusto and a vigor. The beginnings... Well, they may be imperfect, but they are nonetheless remarkable. So this is excerpted from Christopher Columbus's personal journal. All that is requested by anyone who has faith will be granted. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. No one should be afraid to take on any enterprise in the name of our Savior if it is righteous, and if the purpose is purely for his holy service. Amen? Amen. I can't say that he didn't have other motives that maybe darkened his uh, it says, for the purpose of his holy service. I don't know if it was purely for that, but if that truly was his motivation, I'm going to say thumbs up, Christopher. That's wonderful. You see, this is what he would, if you read his journals, if you read what he says, you would think he's convinced he's doing this for Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? From the outside looking in, we're like, I'm not exactly sure. And yet what you see is the same as true for us. That's why I have a tremendous grace in situations like this. You know that the Spirit of God has caught me with off motive? I, can you believe that? Eric Ludy, a pastor. How could I have a bad motive in anything? Now, I'm not saying it's like devious and scheming to harm people. No, it's not that type of motive. But it's self. It's just like, if I do this, then this could come my way. Or then I would look better in these people's eyes. And the Spirit of God's like, <clears throat> In other words, I'm not going to cluck my tongue at Christopher Columbus <laughs> when Eric Ludy can have the same type of potential. You see, Eric Ludy's history could be described as good, bad, and ugly as well. It does not mean that I am forfeiting the opportunity to be used by God to bring about his purposes in this generation. Praise God that he uses imperfect vessels to bring about his perfect results and message. Isn't that an amazing thought? That we don't need to defend Christopher Columbus, but that we can understand that God can use someone like Christopher Columbus, who to himself is convinced that his motives are pure. However, when you see him respond to the gold, and when you see him respond to the indigenous people, 
uh, you're thinking, you know, I, I don't know that you're handling this correctly. I don't think that's what Jesus would do if he was landing on San Salvador. I, I don't think that that's accurate, Christopher, and yet it's a blind spot to him. I get that. I understand that, and I'm also not going to throw out the fact that God is going to use this to change the world. So let's go through the, the quick overview of Christopher Columbus. The denial. John II. You're an idiot, Christopher Columbus. Henry VII. Are you serious? You, there's no way. This is so ridiculous. I can't, and everyone, you just sort of hear it. If it was a movie, you, you would have these, like, this montage. Uh, it would go from one to the next, and Christopher's going to come in and have his speech, and then everyone's going to be like, in the background as the music is playing. This is a hard stretch. And I don't know if any of you have ever gone, that, gone through that in your life, where you have a season where it seems like everyone looks at you as the idiot because you are pursuing Jesus Christ. You see something, but everyone is looking at you as a cracked pot. When in actuality, they're the cracked pot in this case. However, to walk this, Christopher Columbus is actually going to be correct. Not totally. You know, he has, he's off in what he thinks he's going to be discovering, but he's right. But he has to walk through this gauntlet looking like the idiot and the fool. The contempt that is going to be heaped on him. Because he is at the top of his trade. He is... A very astute, educated man, but he's going to look like an idiot. Okay, that's not very easy, guys. I don't know if any of you have ever walked through that with your Christianity, where you're around intellectuals, and they look at you as an inferior intellectually because you actually believe the Bible to be true. There, there's part of you that wants to defend that. You don't want to be seen that way. The contempt is not an easy thing to walk through. How about the rising back up when he's given up on everything? He even went to Ferdinand and Isabella, and, you know, and they declined him too and considered him ridiculous. In other words, the fact that they are going to sponsor this is because he is the persistent widow. This guy will not relent. We don't know the circumstances that are going to bring him out of the dust of shame and contempt to rise up one more time and go to Ferdinand and Isabella. But he does it. We all oftentimes don't even remember personally what we did in those moments where we were just in the, in the dust. The dust of defeat. How did we get back on our feet? I don't know. I, sometimes I can't remember all the things that have happened in my life where I have fought for something, fought for something, and then I find myself in that weakened state, sort of in the fetal position, and God gets me right there and says, what are you doing? Well, you gotta rise up. I, I can't always put that in my biography. It's just like I rose up. I, but I don't remember what God did. I just know he did it. Something's going to happen in Christopher Columbus that's going to cause him to rise back up. It's one of those movie scenes, you know, where the guy, you know, he's at his weakened point, and he's going to rise back up, and he's going to go in and just happens to catch in history at the perfect time. You know what happened? Ferdinand, I mean, the day that he is going to uh, meet with Ferdinand and Isabella, they have just declared victory over the Moors. And so they are so moved. This, this has been a long fight. This has been a bloody fight. And now they want to pay tribute to God in some way. They're looking for a creative way to do it. And in walks Christopher Columbus. And he says, well, you could do that by winning the heathen over across the ocean. They're like, that is a perfect way to honor God. I mean, this is, this is incredible. The fact that this happened at the exact same time. So the rising back up and what we could call the breakthrough. And then the departure. He's actually going to leave. Could you imagine, like I said, and the, the boat next to him is deporting Jews. Total blind spots in this nation, okay? The one that is sponsoring, thinking that they're going to reach the heathen for Christ, they don't care about the Jews. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thought. They're not trying to win the Moors. 
they want to kill the Moors and drive them out. And so it's like the, the oddity of thought here doesn't always match, but that's the way we can be. We see ISIS soldiers over the Middle East, and we're happy if we hear that they died. Instead of hearing about someone that says, you know that I have a real heart to go in and reach ISIS soldiers. That shocks us because it's so Christian. It's opposite the way we would naturally think. We think, well, they're against Christianity. They're killing Christians. How dare they? We want them dead. That's not how a Christian thinks. We want them saved. So as a result, though there is a real judgment of God upon those that would dare come against his righteous ones, we are not here to bring judgment. We are here to bring that love, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The crisis. October 9th, I think is what it could have been 8th. But remember, they're going to arrive on the the 12th. That's a spoiler alert, guys. I I know you probably knew that. But but October 9th, uh, we'll just say it 9th. We have a problem, guys. Because the crew was told something. There's three ships that are making their way over, caravels. They're making their way across the Atlantic. And it's further than they anticipated Columbus has been, I forgot what the term is, but it's like reckoning where he's going to shorten uh, or he's going to do something to the books to try and convince the the crew that they haven't gone as far as uh, they have because they were told very clear expectations. And so they're further than Christopher Columbus wants them to realize. Why do you think that is? Uh, Because Christopher Columbus doesn't want mutiny. He doesn't want them to take control of the ships and turn back. Because right now it's not looking good. Because everything that, remember Christopher Columbus has gone through a lot. If this is a movie, which is a good movie, I don't know if anyone wants to make it right now. Uh, But this is quite the story. Because Christopher Columbus has put everything in this. Even the Spanish government, this is a fortune from the Spanish government to fund this thing. And so if he comes back empty-handed, you want to talk about contempt and shame. You've got it at a whole nother level. Okay, so yes, there's probably some personal, uh, you know, pride issues going on here. So he's sort of uh, fixing the books to, to make it look as if they haven't gone as far. So, so no, we still have hope because when we get to this point, we should be finding it. But they've gone further than that. So the two captains from the other ships are going to come in and have a sit-down chat with uh, Christopher Columbus on October 8th or 9th. It's three days before they discover. Okay, I'll just say it that way. And... They're basically going to say, the men are about to kill you. And they are ready to turn back right now. In fact, they have demanded that we turn around right now. They know that there's nothing out here. No one has ever found it in in all of history. We're turning around now. And so Christopher Columbus is going to make an appeal. And he's going to say, give me three days. If in three days we have not discovered land, we will turn around. So Isn't it amazing? Three days. Of all numbers, three days. And so they are going to go, so what do I have here? The crisis, the three days. Why they agreed to this, I have no idea. And how they made it through, we don't have any records of how the crew crew handled those three days. However, he is going to offer 10,000 whatevers, I don't know what it was, 10,000 somethings, uh, to whoever, I want to say doubloons, because that just sounds like something Spanish, even though I don't think it is, uh, to, what is it, pesos? 10,000 pesos isn't very much right now. Oh, a piece of eight. So, okay. So, pesos. Uh, But he's going to offer 10,000 somethings to whoever spots land first. 
Okay, so you could just imagine what that does to all these men. They're expecting land they're looking out for, which is actually a really cool picture of faith in and of itself. But three days are going to pass. Could you imagine what those three days were like? The agony in those three days? I don't know if you've ever entered into a three-day passage like that where you are feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere, but you're holding on to God for dear life. And you don't have any land to fit your feet on. You're just trusting that it's there. I mean, this is an incredible picture of faith, guys. What the doggedness of Christopher Columbus is, is, is profound. And I tell you what, on the morning of the third day, okay, does that sound like a parallel or what? On the morning, at two in the morning of the third day, they are going to spot a glimmer, which they, they think later is going to be off like some kind of cliff from the moonlight. And, you know, so there's like this hope that is revived. They're going to find a twig. And that twig is going to change everything. Though they have not yet spotted land, because they still haven't seen it, they just saw a glimmer, and there's no, what was that? There could be land up there. Then they're going to find a twig, and I call that the twig with roses, which is what this is all about. What we need as the church right now is the twig with roses. We are hanging out in a very, very difficult stretch of time. We need to have hope. We need to stand firm on the rock of truth, and we need to press in with faith. And then finally, Tierra, Tierra. That's what was called. It wasn't land, land. It was Tierra, Tierra. It's going to be spotted on the morning of the 12th, which was the day that if they didn't find it, they were turning back. Just in all of history, this is like such a critical moment. So I'm going to finish with Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. And then I'm going to actually go through, I think, let's see. Yeah, all the way through verse 15. So let's just enjoy this proverb uh, right here. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Guaranteed. If you pursue this wisdom the way Christopher Columbus pursued that new world, if you will not relent when John II mocks you, when Henry VII kicks you out of his court, when Ferdinand and Isabella consider you a cracked pot, when you continue to pursue even after 31 days have passed and you are basically experiencing a mutiny in your life. If you continue, you're a dead man. To continue at that point is all the more harrowing. And yet, what are we called to as Christians? We're called to continue. You haven't yet gotten the twig with the roses. That'll come. You see, we must pursue even when we cannot see. Listen to what it continues in Proverbs. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Stores it up. It's like we have a full supply, guys, of sound wisdom. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. There's a promise right there just sitting there in the text of Scripture. He is a shield. Well, God, I feel so vulnerable. But you do know that he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice. What path is being tread upon right now? The path of justice. I mean, I, I don't know if how many of you have felt that, that it's like, 
hey, uh, we need to do something. Like we, we need to respond to this. The path of justice is being transgressed. Look at what it says in Scripture. He guards the path of justice. Boy, I wouldn't want to mess with that path. And preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice. Equity in every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. We will be preserved from this. You see, there is a map that we have been given. And it's not a Columbus map, which is a bit unsteady, guys, by the way. I mean, it's amazing that he discovered this world, but I wouldn't want to base my life on a Columbus map from 1492. Okay, that's, that's not the sound foundation that we have. So it's amazing. It's an incredible story. And it's an incredible picture of dogged faith. But we have something far greater, far superior, with a guaranteed outcome. And guess what God also says? Along this journey, you'll be tried in your faith. Along this journey, there will be seasons where you will wonder when it's going to, when you're going to reach tierra, tierra. In those moments, press on as a believer. Do not waffle like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. But if you're going to want that wisdom, you have to keep going with dogged faith. We as the church of Jesus Christ need that wisdom now. We need to know precisely how to do our gathering, how to do our praying, how to do our gospel cheering, how to do our living. Certain things that many of us in here have taken for granted as far as liberties and freedoms may not be around in the upcoming years. That makes no difference to us as Christians. We are not hampered by laws that tell us to be hampered. We serve the King of Kings and we will do what Christians do no matter what. So as a result, we must prepare to be bold. We must prepare to have the mind of Christ. We must understand, if necessary, how to function as an underground church. But meanwhile, we have a job to do. And that is preserve the church that is above ground. And to caretake for what we do have and what we do possess because it is a trust. The strong man retains his riches. I'm not talking about wealth, physical wealth. I'm not talking about our houses and our real estate. I'm talking about the truth of Jesus Christ that for some reason seems cloudy to many of the church leaders today. We need to freshly invigorate our souls as believers to hold to what God says, and to live it out. Father, we need you. We believe you. We believe your map across the Atlantic. We believe it is trustworthy. And we believe that even when we get to day 31 and we have not seen anything and those around us are beginning to wonder out loud, we believe that your map is certain. And we believe that whatever you've promised is sure. So Lord, we pursue you now. We trust your word. We are believers. 
the work of the cross is sufficient, is efficacious for us. That you have defeated the powers of the evil one. And that greater are those with us than those that stand against us. Lord Jesus, we have the grace of God. We have all we need for life and godliness in this hour. And we believe that your wisdom is worth going after. Lord, we ask for it right now. We ask for the wisdom for the church, not just for our gathering, but for the church at large, that it would be strengthened and made muscular for such a time as this. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we ask this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.